If you would open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. We've been looking at throughout this letter to the Corinthians, we've been looking at the question, what is true gospel ministry? And another way we could phrase that is saying, what is ministry in light of the new covenant? The new reality that we have in Christ. This new covenant ministry, this gospel ministry, is one that brings us into an entirely new era with Christ. That's what Paul is going to be talking about, of what it means to be in Christ is the new identity, the new reality, the new covenant that we are in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are asking that by the Spirit you would escort people from death to life in Christ. That you would bring them from the covenant of works into the covenant of grace, even in this very moment, as we worship you through preaching. Father, continue to shape us, mold us, sanctify us, and mature us as we fix our eyes upon your Son Holy Spirit, that is only a work you can do, and so we are pleading with you only because of what Christ has done for us. And so, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we trust that you can and will answer these prayers. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. How do you identify? It's one of the biggest questions people ask today. In a lot of ways, we could say it is the question people ask today. What is your identity? How do you identify? Well, the reason why it's a big question is because your identity determines how you live. It determines how you relate to others. It determines why you do what you do and why you don't do certain things. Your identity is influential for who you're around and who you think you belong to. Your identity can also inform you about who your enemies are and also about what is right and wrong. What is your identity? This was one of the fundamental issues with the problems of the many problems in the Corinthian churches. Paul, very clearly in verse 16, he is addressing this. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard, that word for regard also means to know. It's, it's talking about how we think about others. We regard no one according to the flesh. He then says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In other words, this is identity language. Paul is speaking to a very big issue amongst the Corinthians. And we today are very much like the Corinthians. We struggle with knowing what our identity is. We have, as it were, identity crises. 
But how do we identify ourselves often today? How do we often identify others today? <clears throat> well, often what happens is we identify ourselves or others based on how much money we have. Or maybe it's our social class. Or we use words like majority and minority. Or we identify ourselves by the political party, and probably very prominently this year. We can often uh, think about our identity in light of how many followers we have on social media, whether we're an influencer or not. Even things popular today, such as our sexuality or even the use of pronouns, ethnicity, trauma, your accomplishments, your education, how many letters are at the end of your name, your job or the team you cheer for, your personality profile, can also be uh, whether your family is a prominent family or maybe it's an embarrassing family. You can think about the classic uh, story with Romeo and Juliet. Maybe you primarily identify yourself either as a man or a woman or a conservative or a liberal. Maybe you say either I am uh, one of the things in LGBTQ or I am straight. You can even identify yourself often today by your mental health, depression, or anxiety. You can also do so by saying, I am an addict. Extrovert or introvert, people person, the hospitable person, or the person who likes to be alone. Homeschool, public school, private school, homemaker, whatever my career is, or nerd or hipster. You could go on and on and on. We are all doing this. We're all trying to find what our identity is. Now, not all of these on the list are uh, sinful in and of themselves. Some of them certainly are. But no matter whether they're sinful in and of themselves or whether they're not, the problem is, is that we often identify ourselves primarily by those things rather than who we are in Christ. That is the issue. That if you are a Christian, you have a sure identity that is unshakable in Jesus Christ. Amen? What God is telling us in his word is that when we are primarily identifying ourselves in these other worldly ways, he is telling us this, that is the old way of thinking. Everything about your life, because you're a believer, everything has changed and you must think about yourself differently. What happens when we get this wrong is uh, it's just a landslide, it's like an avalanche. When we get our identity wrong, <laughs> well, no doubt we are just always evaluating ourselves. We're wondering if we're doing things right, if we are being who we're supposed to be, or if we're doing what we're supposed to do. What we're also doing is we're not just evaluating ourselves, we're also evaluating others. Inevitably, this has created a culture of insecurity, and that's not merely outside the church, but it is also in the church. And whenever there is a culture of insecurity, there's always two basic responses. One of them is you try to domineer. You try to prove yourself or to disprove others. So one response to insecurity is trying to domineer. The other response to insecurity is to disappear. You're swallowed in despair because you are not who you wish you were. 
Which one do you lean toward? Domineering or disappearing? Disproving others or falling in despair? Well, what Scripture does is it redefines who we are. Scripture determines our reality. Theology is reality. That is what God's Word is. So as Christians, when we are seeking to live in light of Scripture, we're not trying to do just some sort of self-think new idea. We are getting in line with what is most fundamentally real. And this is why Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? That, dear Christian, is your fundamental identity. It is Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings his people a new identity, and that changes everything. To understand this better, we need to look at what is new creation? What, is, <clears throat> what does Scripture mean by this? Well, actually, Paul, and really ultimately God, as he is inspiring Scripture... Paul is thinking about two different texts in the book of Isaiah. First in Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19. Listen to how how similar this sounds. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? In other words, and in the context of Isaiah, God is saying, look, Your sin drove you into exile, but now, despite your sin and only because of my grace, I am doing a new work. I am going to redeem you, and you are not going to be the same as you were in your sin. This is a new creation work. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. In other words, this identity that you can have in Christ, it means this. Your past no longer defines you. Amen? I'm just telling you, that is some of the most comforting words in Scripture that we can come across. Because several of you, if not all of us, we know that as we look at our past, so many things haunt us. They, they plague our conscience. <clears throat> but what Scripture is telling us here is that new creation identity means we're no longer defined by our past. We are not defined by our sin. We are defined as God's people. God is saying in His Word that your old way of life Your old identity, your old reality, your old relationship with me, which was determined in light of your works, which were not good. All that is gone. Now you have been brought into a new relationship with me. Amen? That was the promise of the Old Testament. But then the question really is, how do we actually get this identity? Well... Notice again the words in verse 17, therefore if anyone is what? In Christ. 
You cannot become a new creation unless you're in Christ. Unless you're located in him. Unless you're spiritually united with him. That is how you get a new creation identity. What's important is that we have to recognize who Jesus is and how he has accomplished this new creation identity. First off, when it says that he is the Christ, it means he is the Messiah. And we know throughout other scriptures that the Messiah is not merely a man, but he is also God. We just confessed this earlier in the Chalcedonian Creed. said that he is simultaneously true God and true man. He has two natures, one person. He's not a superhuman and he is not a demigod. He is God and man in its truest form in perfect harmony and union just in himself. That is why when the Bible speaks about salvation, it does not speak about salvation in the sense of God gives you gifts as if it were absolutely separate from himself. The gifts are located in Christ. You get Christ and you get the gifts. Amen? That's what salvation is. He is true God in our flesh. Because he is true God, it means he has unquenchable life. And it doesn't even very explicitly, it's not merely that God has life, he is life. Everything else that lives in creation is participating in the life of God. He is the source. He is life. And that is who Jesus is. In John 11, <clears throat> excuse me, when uh, Martha comes to Jesus and she says, If you were here, Lazarus, my brother, he would not have died. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not merely saying, I have resurrection power that I have access to. He is saying, no, me, in and of myself, I am the resurrection and the life. He is also true man. And that means that he has an undeniable likeness to us. We once again confessed that earlier in the Chalcedonian Creed. He is like us in every single way, yet without sin. Sometimes we think that if Jesus does not have sin, or if he does not have a sinful nature, we can think, well, how can he really identify with me? Sin has marred the image of God. It has distorted humanity. Sin does not make you and me human. So it is actually wrong to say, well, we sin because we're human. No. Sin is not necessary to humanity. Sin has messed up humanity. Jesus is as true human as humanity can be. And it's because he is sinless and because he does not have a sinful nature that he is actually able to, above anyone else, he is able to relate to you and me. That's who he is. Jesus, because of who he is, he is the one who brings his people a new identity that changes everything. But it's not just who he is, it's also what he has done. Jesus Christ, he lived for us. 
he had an absolute perfect life. And because of his perfect life, because of his perfect obedience, he fulfilled the law of God for us. Because he fulfilled the law of God for us and because he gives us that righteousness, that means that before God, if you're a believer, you have a perfect standing with God. You are in perfect peace with God. That's what we call justification. In God's sight, only because of Christ, not because of anything you do, you are justified and you are forever justified. Amen? But his life also empowers us to live for him. We don't just stay in our sin and wallow in our sin, but because of our union with Christ, he empowers us for godliness. That is why he lived for us, but he also died for us. Because we broke the law, there is the curse. And there is God's wrath. And what Jesus does, he does not merely live for us, but we saw this a couple weeks ago, he also died for us. He took God's wrath so that we might never have to take it. It might not even be threatened upon us. One of the old hymn writers said that it is because of Christ's obedience and because of his death, it brings the double cure. That's the reason why in our service, when, that's the reason why we give two assurances. We give the assurance of forgiveness because Christ has forgiven us. His death is sufficient for us. But we also give the assurance of his righteousness because he lived for us. But he did not die only. He did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. Amen? Christ is risen. There you go. He rose from the dead. It's interesting because even the Old Testament had prophesied that in the last days there would be a resurrection. Isaiah, again, in chapter 26, verse 19, talking about in context, after the day of judgment, and that's always considered in the last days, it says this, after the day of judgment, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, prophesying that resurrection would come in the last days. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Yes. So therefore this, if resurrection happens after judgment, and if Jesus rose from the dead, then the great judgment day happened on the cross. So that everyone who runs to Jesus Christ, their judgment day that will happen at the end of the ages, the judgment day has already happened. And it's never going to be undone. Amen? And he rose from the dead, and that brought resurrection power to those who believe in Christ. And that is what Paul is getting at. What Paul is getting at is that if you have Jesus, you are united with the one who has resurrected. You are a new creation. Everything about you is utterly different. It is in Jesus... It's in him that we get this new identity, and that identity changes everything. 
But Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he did not stay on earth, did he? He ascended into heaven. Why, why did he go to heaven? Why didn't he just stay here? He says this in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, so if I ascend into heaven, I will send him to you. So let's get back to this question. How do you get this new identity? You've got to get in Jesus. But how does that happen? How does that happen? Because Jesus is no longer here on this earth. He's in heaven. Here's how. He sends you the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and unites you to Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. How do you get in? How do you get this new reality? How do you get this new identity? How do you get this new relationship with God? The Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is saying, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. <clears throat> we know that the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, verse 9, is described as the Spirit of Christ. What does that mean? It means this. The Holy Spirit is not a power or just a thing. He's not something that we manipulate or that we control or that we kind of try to get access to by secret knowledge. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is someone you bow down to, not someone you try to control. The Holy Spirit shares the same essence of God, the essence that the Father has, the essence that the Son has, is the essence that the Spirit has. He is God. Here's why that's hugely important. When you receive the Holy Spirit because He is the third person of the Trinity, He is the essence of God. When you receive Him, you receive the Son and the Father. You're not getting anything less than what the apostles or disciples had when Jesus was physically there, right there. Matter of fact, it is better to have the Holy Spirit within us than people who weren't believers who saw Jesus face to face right there. Because now Jesus is in you and you are in him. Amen? That's what Paul means. And when the Holy Spirit comes within us, He comes to us when we were dead. He comes to us when we were spiritually lifeless. He comes to us when we did not even want God. The Holy Spirit comes to us not because we invited Him, not because we cooperated with Him, not because we gave any input, not because we asked for help, and not because we gave him permission. Because we never would. He comes to us purely by his sovereign grace, and he causes us to be born again. Amen? He saves us, really, in a lot of ways, from our very selves. 
And when he causes us to be born again, he brings us into the resurrection, new creation, life of Christ. You see that, right? When we get the Holy Spirit, we get in Christ and we get this new reality. That's how it happens. <clears throat> so how do you get in Jesus? You get the Holy Spirit. It is important to remember this, though. How do you get the Holy Spirit? You get the Holy Spirit through the Word. It's very clear in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, though distinct from the Word, the Holy Spirit does not act outside of, separated from the Word. When the Holy Spirit speaks, He speaks the Word. And so sometimes... People can say, hey, I have a, I have a word uh, uh, from God to you. Every time it's like, yeah, I do too. It's right here. Or the Spirit's, you know, he's really moving me to prophesy. If it does not match up with Scripture, do not listen to it. And if it agrees with Scripture, we already have it. The Spirit speaks through the Word. There we go. And what the Holy Spirit does is that through the ordinary means of grace, he makes dead people come to life. He makes blind eyes see. He turns the unconverted to the converted. And he does so just every single time. We just gather, and when the word is faithful, he is going to bless that preaching. Maybe a conversion doesn't necessarily happen every time the word is preached, but he is always reviving us when the word is preached. And that's how we get this new identity. But then, and here's what Paul's really getting at. What changes when we get this new creation identity? What changes about us being new creations? Look back at verse 17, the second sentence there, it says, The old has passed away. Behold, meaning look, meaning this is so stunning it changes everything. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, that when you are united to Jesus Christ, you have entered a new reality. That now, in Christ, above everything else that you could possibly be influenced by, nothing compares to your reality of being in union with Jesus Christ. Amen? Christ is your biggest influence. Christ is your governing power. Christ is your controlling relationship. And the old way of thinking, the old way of identifying ourselves, the old way of trying to prove or disprove, or running away in despair, those old ways are done. We are in Christ. Amen? Trying to keep God's law, trying to obey God for our salvation, we repent of that idea trying to establish our identity by doing good enough or just trying to avoid bad things, we repent of that idea. Trying to enhance our acceptance with God, trying to make God's love for us increase because of our, our obedience, we repent of that idea. 
Because Christ has fulfilled the law. Christ has brought us into a new reality. Jesus is the one who brings his people a new identity, and that changes everything. And it is indeed that new identity that he gives us. You see, <laughs> excuse me, an identity is something that informs us. An identity directs us. It gives us realistic expectations. It comforts us. It gives us belonging. It gives us believing. An identity gives us a worldview. This is why I say all that. If you go wrong on your identity, you will never interpret your life or anything else in the world rightly, ever. It does not matter what expertise you have in what field or in what business or whatever it is. When you go wrong on your fundamental identity, you will interpret everything wrongly, severely wrongly. But when we see who we are in Christ, it changes everything about how we think about ourselves in every area of life and in all the different relationships. The thing about this identity is this. We don't make this true. It is true. The problem is that whenever we have a wrong identity, the problem is that we're not in line with what the reality is. Christian living is not just some sort of new psychological theory or some sort of mind over matter, just self-help thing. It's not. It is getting in line with true reality. And dear Christian, this is who you are. You are a new creation. Amen? There are really two basic ways we tend to struggle with identifying ourselves. We can often identify ourselves by our sin. Now, it is true, sin always describes the Christian, but sin does not define the Christian. When we identify ourselves by our sin, primarily, then basically it's another form of pride because we're often saying, well, this is just who I am, or we say, I should be better than this. There's too much me in that. So the way of thinking where we say, if, if this is my sexual orientation, this is just the way things are, this is just the way, this is just who I am, that is not correct if you're a Christian. No matter how difficult it is, and it is difficult, but Christ is your governing reality. And he is governing you, and he is progressively, slowly but surely shaping you, molding you into his image. Another way which we can mess up identifying ourselves is by our suffering. This is a very trendy thing today. We love to think about ourselves as warriors and fighters. And, uh, and so we're often bragging and boasting about what trauma and suffering and pain we have. And oftentimes it can lead to a sense of thinking that this suffering in my life, it's inevitable. But my friends, the only thing that is inevitable is God. That no matter how, and it is. The suffering that is truly traumatic, that really does come to your mind every single day. What we must remind ourselves is this, that is not, first and foremost, my defining reality. Christ is. And the hope for you, dear believer, the hope for you is that no matter how painful it is, and it is painful, 
But Christ will reverse the curse. Amen? He will. He will bring you into a greater life. He will use that actually for his glory. And it's very confusing and we don't have all the answers to it. But he, if he rose from the dead, what can he not do? The Bible says right here that the old has passed away. <laughs> what it's doing here, what Paul is saying is that when it says the old has passed away, it means it's gone. It means it's a definitive moment. This does not mean that you all of a sudden enter into Christian perfectionism. That is also something we must repent of. But in our union with Christ, in our covenantal status with God, there was a one-time definitive act where we were plucked out of the old self and brought into Christ. That is good news. John Murray calls this, uh, uh, what is it, positional or, uh, I forget the other words, another P word, positional sanctification. Uh, meaning that we've been brought utterly away from the old life and we've been dedicated to Christ. To be sure, yet again, this is not Christian perfectionism. This is not some sort of way of thinking, I'm only living the victorious life now. Just keep reading the Bible. Just keep reading 2 Corinthians. Because Paul's going to get to a point here pretty soon where he's going to say, I'm being tormented by the evil one. Matter of fact, Christian maturity is not growing in independence or acting like you have it all together or that everything is easy. Christian maturity is growing in your understanding of how much you need Christ. It's growing in humility. Nevertheless, it is true. There has been a definitive break from your old life. There's been a definitive break from the old self, as Scripture calls it. But in that definitive break, there are still remnants remaining. And this is why you often feel this tension. I want to follow Jesus, but it's so difficult. Have you been there? Yes, you have, if you're a believer. Because <laughs> every believer goes through that. It is a struggle. You do still sin. And until glory, you will still sin. You see, when we don't have a proper understanding of what it means to have a new creation identity, you can run into two dangers. The first danger is what we could call triumphalism. And this is the idea that everything's great and I'm always going to be really good at obedience and nothing's going to hinder me. Because often what happens is in that type of a mindset, we're still very self-centered and we're not depending upon Christ. We're not humble. We think too highly of our abilities. And we depend too little on the Holy Spirit or even other Christian brotherhood. We also underestimate the lingering sin in our nature. And that is often whenever we are in a type of triumphalist mindset, that is often whenever we look up and say, wow, this major sin has entered in. The problem is that you do not realize that every step of your Christian life, you are utterly dependent upon Christ. 
could not breathe without him. Even your very desire for holiness has not come from you. It has come from Christ. But the other danger is the mindset of a defeatist. We still think that sin is what we're primarily dominated by. And we think that this is just the way things are and that there's no way I can, I can continue to walk with Christ. Kevin DeYoung speaks very much to this in his book, Impossible Christianity, where he debunks this idea. But it's very true that also in this mindset where we think my sin is too strong, I don't think I can make any progress in the Christian life, that also is a mindset where we are too self-absorbed. We still think too little of Christ and too big about sin. The reality is that because Christ rose from the dead, you and I, the power over our life is not sin. The penalty of sin is not over us. The presence of sin still remains. But the greatest power in your life and in my life is not sin. So therefore, do not identify yourself primarily by your sin. Christ is your identity. And that is what this scripture text is radically calling us to. Even before we think about ourselves, and in this day and age, uh, we, we are often, <laughs> whether it's pronoun, sexuality, male or female, whatever it is, we're always trying to find that thing. But the gospel teaches us to repent of all other things, not just the sinful things, but also the things that whether we like to say, well, I am a man, that's the biggest thing about me, or I am a woman, that's the biggest thing about me. It's very interesting that Paul says in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Amen? Now, you still remain your ethnicity. You still remain your true sexuality, and God's the one who determines that. But that is not your fundamental identity. You realize what's happening today. As we've messed up on this, even Christians, whenever we say either, I'll take this one, whenever we say, well, the biggest thing about me is that I'm a man or the biggest thing about me is that I'm a woman, inevitably what we're doing is this. We're treating men and women as if they're totally different creatures rather than there being one creature with two distinctions. And inevitably... It's this gender war. And the gospel is calling all of us to repent of that. The gospel is calling us to have a greater identity because then, and only then, we can understand how to live as we're meant to live, however God has made us. Amen? I think it's one of the biggest issues for today where people are constantly, even Christians, we're constantly trying to identify ourselves as something more than in Christ. I think a good practice for us is to think, if I put any sort of adjective or noun or description or whatever it is before Christian, then that is what I'm holding as something above Christ. Whatever it might be you got to pluck that out and you got to put it at the end of the sentence. Because first and foremost, if you're a believer, you are a Christian. You are in Christ. And that determines and changes everything, how you live, how God has made you. Amen?
It's the only way. This new identity, it changes our purpose. I met a man recently at the local jail, and I was amazed to actually hear about his faith. And he said, I know God has put me here for a reason so that people can hear the gospel. How about that? A man who is learning to be gripped by his identity in Christ. And just because of his circumstances is not making him sink in despair. It's also not having him trying to prove himself. He's learning more and more to say, God knows exactly what he's doing. And because of this, he's going to bring me to people who may have never heard the gospel. That's amazing. We all need to grow in this. It's hard. And this is what the means of grace does. This is actually why we have the four-course meal, because throughout church history and even in Scripture, we need constantly to be sitting under the Word of God because it is constantly telling us, informing us, changing us to see who we are. We don't do this because it's like, be good church people. We do this because it changes and transforms us. Because when we see Christ the resurrected Christ, everything about us is different. Let me leave us with this one thought. Can't help but think about 2024 and all the different things that are going to be happening. You know what I'm talking about. But what if this was a church that was learning more and more to do away with the old way of thinking and put on more and more the new way of thinking? A place where actually there can be a lot of diversity that comes here, but is united over Christ rather than anything else. A place where people can actually have a refuge and can come in and say, I know I need Christ, and I know these people, regardless of my ethnicity, my age, whether I'm male or female, or whatever background I have, or political vote, or whatever it might be, I can learn to sit under God's word and behold the glory of Christ and be transformed into his image. How does that happen? Only if we know our identity in him. It's the only way it happens. My friends, the only response is that you believe. And it doesn't matter who you are. The most important thing is that you believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would continue to shape us by your word, revive us, make us new, equip us with a biblical worldview, so that wherever we find ourselves in our circumstances or how you've made us, that we might let our new creation identity determine how we live faithfully to you. Lord, only you can do that, and that is what you purchased. So Holy Spirit, Apply it to us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.